your thinking. But I want you, just between you and God, to ask yourself, am I qualified? Is this a description of me in each one of these things that I read? Does it describe your life? 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1. Here is a trustworthy saying. If anyone sets his heart on being an overseer, he desires a noble reproach. That's number one, above reproach. Husband of but one wife, temperate, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not given to drunkenness, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own family well and see that his children obey him with proper respect. If anyone does not know how to manage his own family, how can he take care of God's church? He must not be a recent convert or he may become conceited and fall under the same judgment as the devil. He must also have a good reputation with outsiders that he will not fall into disgrace and into the devil's trap. That's it. Sounds simple, right? But when you go through and you start breaking down each one of these, you realize if you live up to the requirements that are in that short little passage... You are rare. There's not very many. And when we went through this entire congregation one picture at a time in the directory, I can tell you this. There were less than 15 names left on the list. Now, there were a whole bunch of guys that were close, but 100%. All of these things without any reservation where I could say that person lives that out. Very few. And ladies, it's the same for you. If we went through there, there are some. But few. And you know, it's sad to me because I know some of you have been in the church for a long time. Every one of us should live up to these things 100%. This is not everything that God has ever asked you to do. This is just the basic requirements for somebody who can be in leadership. Somebody who's not going to stumble. Somebody who's not going to cause somebody else to stumble. It should be all of us. I should, I should be able to, with full confidence this morning, say, how many of you guys, 100 out of 100? And know that I wouldn't embarrass anyone. I wouldn't dare do that on a Sunday morning. Because most of you wouldn't be able to put your hand up without lying. But I'll tell you this. God has big plans for your life. And God has all the power of the universe at his disposal to change your life. To change your habits. To change your affections. God can make you like something that you don't even like right now. And he can make you hate something that you enjoy. God can change you from the inside out. But he won't force you. You have to cooperate with him. And if you begin to cooperate with God, he'll change you from the inside out. and He'll make you a new person. The old will pass away and all things will become new in your life. And you can become somebody who could look at a passage like that and say, that's me. Didn't used to be. Wow, you should have met the old me. But by God's grace, that's who I am now in Christ. That should be the goal for every Christian in the body of Christ. It should be your goal, and it should be mine. But as we began this series, I told you we're going to go through seven different signs that you're living right. Last week, we talked about being intentional. I said, if you don't have a plan to grow in your spiritual walk, if you can't identify one or two or three things that you need to change and figure out what you would need to do to change those, to cooperate with God in in renewing your life, then you're not being intentional. And if you just take the path of least resistance, nothing's going to change in your life. 
Listen to God's spirit. God will tell you what things you should be working on this year. But you need to be intentional and you need to have a plan. That's what we talked about last week. This week, I want to tell you about another of the seven things that I think are very important for every Christian. And that is, you must be relational. If you're ever going to become the man or the woman that God designed you to be, if you're going to be transformed, made new, you are not going to do it by yourself. Did you know that? It's not going to happen. It's not a solitary journey that you're on. It's no accident that God put us together in a body, in a church, lots of faces. Because God's design is that you would do your Christian walk alongside of somebody else. You know, when I played football, every once in a while a guy would get injured. And some football players are pretty big. Where's Jasso? Jasso's a big guy. A guy like Jasso, say his knee goes out. and He's laying out on the field. Well, oftentimes what we would do to go out there and get that guy off the field is we'd go out there and one guy would get underneath one arm, the other guy get underneath the other arm, and we could drag a pretty big guy off the field. He could lean on us. And you know, that's the way God designed the Christian life to work. That when you have a struggle, when you're hurting, when you can't carry your own weight, that you could lean on somebody else. There would be somebody underneath that arm to lean on during that time. For me, that person that comes to mind is a guy named Todd Langerfeld. I've had lots of different people I've leaned on throughout the years, but this one guy, Todd Langerfeld, embodies what I believe a mentor, an accountability partner is to be better than anyone I'd ever met. He shaped in my mind what that looks like to lean on somebody else, to gain from their strength so that I could grow in my walk. I was 19 years old, a freshman at Sacramento State University. Walking across campus and they had rush week. All the fraternities, sororities were out there and they're encouraging the young people that had just come to the campus to come and join, to rush. But in the midst of that, there were a couple of school clubs, and one of them was called Campus Crusade for Christ. Campus Crusade is an on-campus movement that young people can join where they encourage you in your walk with Christ and they share the gospel with the campus. So I was walking along. I'm a pastor's kid, raised in the church, knew the truth of the Scripture, believed that Jesus Christ was my Lord and Savior. But I was at a point in my life where I knew I could do better. I needed to do better. I needed to connect somehow with somebody who could help me out. I went to this booth. I signed my name up. And they connected me with a guy named Todd Langerfeld. I remember exactly where I could show you today where we sat on the grass at Sac State the first time I met him. That's how much of an impact he had on my life. I remember as we sat there and I told him my story. I told him I was a pastor's kid. And he says, you know, Campus Crusade is probably not the place for you. You might want to go to InterVarsity. InterVarsity, they do, they do some great Bible studies. You can have some good Christian friends. But we're a movement. We take our faith seriously. And I remember him telling me that. And I thought, how dare you? You don't know me. I'm serious. But he was already, from the very first time he met me, he was challenging me. Challenging me to imagine, could you be more than you are right now? Could you go further in your faith than you are right now? He was baiting me. And I was taking it hook, line, and sinker. I wanted nothing more than to be part of Camp's Crusade and to prove that I could do what he said pastor's kids couldn't do by the time that conversation was over. I was ready to sign up. I signed up for a small group. I met with him every week for four years. And over the course of those four years, he would meet with me. And Todd was just amazing at asking the right question at the right time. 
I remember one time I came to him and he opened up the scriptures and he said, here, read this verse. And I read it and it says, man does not live on bread alone, but every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. I'd heard it before. He says, what do you think that means? Well, you can't just eat food and expect to physically be healthy and that's enough. I mean, there's got to be some time that you spend reading the Bible and that feeds your soul, something like that, right? He says, how often do you read your Bible? No. Well, at church, somebody reads it, and I hear them. I guess that counts. Uh, That was about the best I could do. I never really read my Bible. I mean, at times in my life, I had read it, but I wasn't in the habit of reading it. So I told him all that, and he goes, well, what do you think that means for your spiritual life? I mean, do you think your spiritual life is well-fed, or do you think you're kind of starving? Well, the answer was so obvious. It was like the nose on my face. I go, well, obviously my spiritual life is starving. I never even read my Bible. He goes, how often do you think God would want you to, you know, feast on his word? Probably every day. I mean, I eat food every day, more than once a day. and I'd say every day. He says, when do you think you want to start doing that? <laughs> well, today would probably be a good day to start. And without ever telling me what to do, he just asked questions and showed me the word of God. And by the end of that conversation, I walked away from there convicted. I need to read my Bible. And week after week, year after year, for four years, he challenged me in that way. And I'll tell you what, I looked back four years later and I go, I don't know where the old Dan went, but I'm different. I've changed. And it was because Todd walked me through my journey and challenged me and loved me and cared for me and gave me a kick in the shorts when I needed it. This morning, I want to challenge each one of you. If you're going to live the life that God created you to live, if you're going to become the man or woman that God envisioned you to be, when he called out to you and said, come and follow me, you're going to need somebody to lock arms with. You're going to need somebody to put your arms around. You're going to need somebody to walk your journey with you. That person may be a mentor, somebody who's further along than you, that can give you guidance and counsel and say like Todd did, When I was your age, or when I was in the place in life that you're at, this is what I did. It might be a mentor. They also might be an accountability partner. Somebody who's about the same place you're at and saying, look, I know what it's like to go through what you're going through. Because guess what? I'm in the same place you are. So how about I encourage you and challenge you and you encourage and challenge me. And we'll do this together. Whether it's a mentor, whether it's accountability partner, I'm telling you this, this morning, don't walk out of here thinking you're an exception. There are no exceptions here. If you don't have an accountability partner, if you don't have a mentor, if you're not locked arms with somebody else in relationship, Christian relationship, you're not going to grow into that man or woman that God created you to be. It's just not going to happen. When I was in seminary, Prof. Hendricks, who's famous in his own right, but uh, he has mentored many, many men over the years. He spoke in one of our chapels one day. And he spoke on this whole idea of accountability from the context of pastors who fall into sin. And he says, I've counseled pastors, hundreds, thousands of pastors over the years. And I've studied what are the common characteristics of those who burn out, fall into sin, become disqualified. And one of the things that is true of every single one without any exception is they were not in accountability. He says, not only that, But every single one of them said they never thought this could happen to them. And I remember sitting in that chapel thinking, I could be a smart guy and listen to this this man, a well-respected Christian leader, 
who says there's no exceptions. Or I could be an idiot and go, well, I'm sure that's true of the average guy, but I'm no average guy. And I could be just like all those pastors who fell into sin or burned out because I could say, well, I'm the exception. That could never happen to me. I'm too smart to make those mistakes. I know the Bible too well to go down that path. And I could be just like all those others. And I would say something similar to you this morning. If you think that you're the exception, you're probably the most likely person to get distracted, to fall into sin, to not be the man or woman that God created you to be. If you don't think you need any help, trust me, you need help. You need a partner that you can lock arms with. In the book, The Disciple-Making Pastor, the author Bill Hull writes this about the need for accountability. He says, To believe you can make disciples or develop true maturity in others without some form of accountability is like believing that you can raise children without discipline, run a company without rules, or lead an army without authority. Accountability is to the Great Commission what train tracks are to a train. I want you to open your Bibles with me to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. That's our text for this morning. just want to look at a few of the things that the Apostle Paul says about the importance of accountability in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 11 to 14. Here at the end of his letter, Paul is speaking to a church that is actually a together church, a godly church, a church for the most part that's right on. But he encourages them, like I said last week, Christians oftentimes will settle for mediocre. He encourages them to go beyond mediocre, to press on to excellence in their Christian walk. And this is part of the key. If you want to get there, you've got to be connected. You've got to be in relationship. Verse 11, he says, Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up, just as, in fact, you are doing. Now we ask you, brothers, to respect those who work hard among you, who are over you in the Lord, and who admonish you. Hold them in the highest regard and love because of their work. Live in peace with each other. And we urge you, brothers, warn those who are idle, encourage the timid, help the weak, be patient with everyone. In this passage, he says there's two things that we're to do for each other. Verse 11, he says, encourage one another. The Greek word here for encourage, parakaleo. Paraclete is the Greek word we use to describe the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the paraclete. And to be a paraclete means to come alongside, to be right next to, to walk alongside of. And that's what God's Spirit does in your life. He never leaves you. There's not a day that goes by if you're a believer in Jesus Christ that the Holy Spirit abandons you. He's always there. He walks beside you. He comforts you. He encourages you. He challenges you. But here in this passage, we're told that we're supposed to do that job as well with each other. Just as the Holy Spirit walks alongside you, you're supposed to walk alongside somebody else. Just like that. Close. Never abandoning, never diverging, but walking out life together. And it's this idea of having locked arms, interlocked with somebody else, leaning on each other for strength, to comfort, to exhort, to encourage. It's simply the verb form of the noun describing the Holy Spirit. So God calls us to follow the lead of the Holy Spirit and to be alongside of other Christians. And so I ask you to think this morning, who is it that 
you're alongside of, that you're locked arms with, do they know it? Do they know that they're locked arms with you? Because if you're that close, they ought to know. So if we went and asked them right now, they would be able to name you by name. Is there somebody else that you've come alongside of and has come alongside of you? And then it says that we should build each other up, not only to come alongside of each other, but to build each other up. This is the whole idea of restoring. It's called Restoration Life, the church that you sit in today. It's one of the main things the church exists for, to take what's broken and to fix it, to take what is destroyed and to make it new. And God has invited us into that work as well. Along with the Holy Spirit, you come alongside and you encourage and you build up. Who are you building up? Who is encouraged because of you? Who's encouraging you? If you're down, who comes alongside of you? Who calls you up? Who sends you an email? Who takes you out to coffee? Who are you built up with? Because here in this passage, it says that we're supposed to be doing this with each other. He says in verse 11, the church in Thessalonica is doing this. He commends them for it. This is a good thing. But I wonder about the church in Sacramento, Restoration Life. Are we doing this? I look out and I see lots of faces and I can tell you names of people who are doing this. But this is supposed to be normal in the church. And I told you when we started this series, I'm going to go through seven signs that you're on the right track to living the life God called you to live. This is number two. Number one, be intentional. Number two, be relational. Are you connected in relationship? He goes on in verses 12 and 13 to talk about how there are some within this body that God has called to oversee, to shepherd, to protect, to guide. I'm one of those people in this congregation. It's the calling God put on my life. I'm responsible for you. If I didn't tell you straight, if I didn't speak truth into your life, I wouldn't be doing my job. Someday I'm going to have to stand before God in heaven and I'm going to have to give account for what I said to you during my time. I consider it a great honor that I can stand up here this morning and speak into your life from God's word. It's humbling. It truly is. But I'm responsible for what I say. I'm responsible for what I pass on to you. And I'm responsible for how I live my life. If I say to you, you better have someone alongside you, but I have nobody alongside me, I'm a hypocrite. God will hold me to account for that. And it says, verses 12 and 13, that you need to respect that accountability that the leadership has. You need to abide by what they say. Don't take it lightly. I don't take it lightly when I stand before you and speak the word of God out of the Bible. But you shouldn't take it lightly when you receive it. This is God's provision for you to align yourself with Scripture. That's why we spend 30, 35 minutes every Sunday morning just talking about what the Word of God says. So you can take it away. You can plant it in your heart. You can become that man or woman that God wants you to be. So there's a responsibility you have to do something with what has been given to you by the leadership of this church. And then in verse 14, he says, And we urge you, brothers... Warn those who are idle, encourage the timid, help the weak, be patient with everyone. When I think of warning those who are idle, I think of speaking the truth in love. 
it's not my job alone to deliver truth. When I stand up here and I preach a sermon to you, I hope that I hit the bullseye. I hope I hit you right between the eyes. I hope that something inside of you says, ouch, that's so true, it hurts at some level. Not because I want to inflict pain on you, but because I want to make sure that somebody is speaking the truth to you in love in such a way that you will adjust your life, make adjustments week in and week out to align yourself with God's truth so that God can use you, that God can bless you. But it's not my job alone. God has called each one of you to speak the truth in love to your brother and sister. And that happens in the context of these relationships. The relationship of the accountability partner, the mentor, the one who walks alongside. Who are you speaking truth to? When was the last time you said something to somebody where they went, Ooh, that hurts, but thank you. Recently, I was talking to a, an old friend, somebody who used to attend here at Rest Life. They left for good reasons to go attend another church. Hadn't seen him for a while, bumped into him. So we were talking and I said, so by the way, I, have you been in church every Sunday? Because, you know, I don't see you at Rest Life anymore. I know you went to another church, but you've been going every week, right? He kind of put his head down. Well, it's actually been a while. I said, how long has it been since you've been in church? Two months. I said, before that, were you going every week? Well, not really. Been just a little bit, a couple times in the last few months. I said, man, this guy's got a new baby. You can't mess around. How is your child going to know Jesus Christ if you just show up at church every once every few months? If you don't make it a priority, your kids are. I say, you, what are you doing, man? You know better. I know you and you know better. He says, yeah, I know. I said, you better get your butt in church. And if you don't start going back to that church, you better start going to our church because you need to go somewhere. And I will ask you where you've been. We got done and he said, hey, by the way, thanks for beating me up today. I mean, think about that. Thanks for beating me up. But who says that? But he knew that there was truth in what I was saying. And at the same time, there was love. And what I was saying, I wasn't throwing him under the bus. I was saying, look, man, I'm rooting for you. I'm rooting for your family. I'm rooting for your kid. But you got to do the right thing. And we both know you haven't been doing the right thing. He appreciated that. That's love. And sometimes we're supposed to warn those who are idle. We're supposed to say to people who aren't doing it right. That's not right. You can do better. We both know it. I'm watching. That's a gift. That's love. That's taking the hard road instead of the easy road. That's where the good turnout comes from. Sometimes you need to get beat up a little bit. Sometimes you need to beat somebody else up a little bit in love. Because together we urge each other on and we say, come on, you can do better. We encourage each other to get it right. It says, encourage the timid. I think of the timid, I think of those people who've been burned. Those people who are hesitant to get involved again. And I know some of you sitting here today, if you've spent time in the church, some church person somewhere along the way has probably really let you down, disappointed you, made you feel insignificant or stupid. Or maybe they just took advantage of you. They were arrogant, self-centered. You've been burned. You've been discouraged. Kind of sick and tired of seeing hypocrisy. You know, there were some like that within the church. Maybe you've been there before and you're no longer in that place. But 
God's word calls us to come alongside of those people who've been burned, people who are timid, shy of getting involved again, of allowing themselves to trust. We're supposed to encourage them. How do you encourage somebody like that? Prove that you will be a good friend, that you won't be self-centered, that you're safe, that it's safe to be part of God's body and to be in relationship. Sometimes we need to encourage the timid. And then it says, help the weak. You know, some people have weak wills. Some people have weak character. Some people have weak moments. Some people just can't stay on track. But whether it's a weak moment or it's a lifestyle, there's a lot of weak people in the church. People who say, I can't do it. I've tried. I can't do it. I just can't. I'm too weak. More than I can handle. I want to do the right thing. I can't do it. Who comes alongside of those people and gives them strength? You know, if you have the strength to live the life that God's called you to live, you also have strength to give to others. If you've learned something is true and you've applied it in your life and you've changed and like I was with Todd, I could look back and I go, whoa, the guy I used to be, I am no longer. God has changed me. I've gained some strength. Then you can pass that on to other people. This is a two-way street here. You need to be willing to receive, but you also need to be willing to give. If you've got something to give to others and you're not doing it, because you're too busy taking care of yourself, then you are not pleasing God your Father. He wants you to give the overflow away. Take a look at your life. Are you in deficit? Are you in surplus? If you've got a surplus, it's meant for a reason. You're supposed to give it to somebody else. Look around you and find someone that you can bless. If you're in a deficit, there's somebody else out there who's meant to fill that void. Look around and receive from them. I don't know if it's easier for you to give or to receive. They can both be difficult at times. But I do know that the the Word of God tells us that you are meant to do both at different seasons in your life, at different times. And that's where you lock arms, and sometimes you lean, and sometimes you pull. But together, you're stronger than you would be on your own. Ecclesiastes 4, 9, and 10. Two are better than one. Named our pastor's group in town, the E49 group, after that passage, Ecclesiastes 4.9. Because together, we're better than we would be on our own. Two can do more together than two apart could do. And then lastly, it says, be patient with everyone. You know, nobody likes admitting help. If I said, hey, who's really hurting this morning and like some help? The last thing you want to do is raise your hand in front of everybody and go, "Ah, I need a lot of help. Nobody likes asking for help. It's hard to be transparent with others. It's hard to be accountable. You you let somebody in your life, it's it's a risky thing, and you say, you know, I I, I could just keep living with the mess I got. I'm used to it. There's no fast track to maturity. You can't just become mature like that. You've got to wade through your issues. You've got to work through a lot of conversation, a lot of time. A lot of energy. But I'll tell you this. The way that God's prescribed for you to grow is the same way he's prescribed for all of us to grow. It's one day at a time, one step at a time. My mom used to have a, a button. And forgive me if I get this wrong. Where's my mom? She's here somewhere. There she is. 
It's, it was something like this. She wore this button to work as a nurse. It, it said P-B-P-G-I-F-W-M-Y. That sound about right? There were a bunch of letters on it, and you read it and go, that doesn't make sense. I mean, it doesn't even look like it's written in Polish. It just doesn't make sense. There's got to be at least a vowel in there somewhere. And people would ask, what's your button mean? I mean, it's just got a bunch of consonants on it. Please be patient. God isn't finished with me yet. That's what it stands for. It's just a conversation piece, but there was a great truth behind it. It was a recognition that I'm a broken person. I'm on a journey. I've got high hopes that God's going to make something out of my life. I have dreams and aspirations that someday, by God's grace, I'm not going to be the person I used to be. God's making me new. And it's not just a fairy tale. It's based on reality. I look back and I go, I used to do that, and I've grown. And because I saw that God used that part of my life and he changed me in that area, I believe he can change me in this area. I'm a work in progress. And it's a mission to everybody around us that I need patience. I haven't arrived yet. I've got a way to go. And in this passage, he says, be patient with everyone. It takes patience to work with people. If you're going to lock arms with somebody, they're going to let you down. They're not always going to do things the way you'd like. It's going to take some patience. But if you're willing to be patient, if you're willing to lock arms, the great hope here is you and I, Be like Jesus. We can love others. We can be faithful. We can give and give and give without ever running out. We can be God's hand and God's feet in this city. We can share hope and love with our community. You can. You can be a great force for the kingdom of God if you're willing to walk it out with somebody else. As I close, let me ask you once again. Are you in accountability? Do you have a mentor? Do you have an accountability partner? Let me just tell you the basic requirements that you ought to be looking for if you don't already have one. Number one, it needs to be the same gender. I've met a few people go, oh, yeah, my accountability partner is my spouse. Well, a lot of your conflict is also with your spouse. Sometimes you need somebody else to talk to. And so your spouse is not necessarily the best person. I don't have any problem with you being totally transparent and open with your spouse. You should be. But there are times when you need to talk about your spouse. And you say, I don't understand. My wife's upset with me. I've tried to do this. I tried. I can't get it right. And your brother in Christ, your sister in Christ says to you, have you thought about doing this? Have you said this? If you come talk to me, I'll say, have you gotten her flowers? Sorry, babe. I know it's been. One of you guys needs to remind me to get my wife flowers, by the way. But it needs to be somebody the same gender. Somebody who can speak to you from where you're at. Walk in your own shoes and really understand what it means to be you. Number two, it needs to be regular. You need to meet at least monthly. I prefer weekly. But there, a lot of life goes by in 24 hours. And if you don't stay pretty closely connected, some major events happen and you haven't even shared them with this other person. I suggest weekly you meet. For at least a half hour, if not an hour. You need to be trustworthy. Whoever that person is, they need to be somebody that you can trust. If they're not trustworthy, that's probably not somebody you're going to feel safe pouring your life out to. And if you're not telling them everything that's going on, they're really not going to be able to help. So find somebody you trust. And on the flip side, 
be a trustworthy person that if somebody came and asked you to be their accountability partner, they really could trust you. Don't share what they say with everybody else. It should stay within that conversation between you and them. Number four, be honest. It's easy to sit down with someone and tell them things that are a little bit glossier and kinder to yourself than you should be. Because we all can put a positive spin on things. Be honest. Painfully honest. Be able to say, I am broken. I'm a mess. I got it wrong again. Just be who you are. Because God already knows that. And God's provision for you is for somebody else to give you their strength. You've got to be honest. And then lastly, be humble. Sometimes it's not nice when you tell somebody, here's what's broken in me, what do you think? And they say, well, you know what you need to do is A, B, and C. And you go, ooh, ah, I feel small. I don't like this anymore. You're going to have to be humble. It's humbling to have somebody speak into your life and tell you truth that maybe you didn't want to hear. And then they're going to say, and I'm going to check back with you next week to make sure you did it. Ah, I don't like it. You're going to have to be humble. So, same gender, meet regularly, be trustworthy, be honest, be humble. You've got the makings of success. You could actually be that man or that woman that God created you to be. But you've got to be connected. I made a personal commitment that I will always, for the rest of my life, be connected. Now, I've moved a few times. Every time you move, there's an opportunity to get disconnected and stay disconnected. Maybe the person you're connected with, maybe they move away. So I decided the best thing for me is I'm going to have layers of accountability. If one accountability partner is good, two is even better. Because if something happens to one of them, I still have the other one. By God's grace, I sought two and God gave me three. So I have three. Three different accountability relationships I'm in. One of them is with Bob Carroll, who's sitting right here in this room today. So he can hold me accountable for everything I'm saying this morning. Bob and I meet regularly. He supports me. He encourages me. And he also challenges me. The other one is Pastor Mark. Pastor Mark and I have been best friends for almost 10 years now. There's nothing in my life that he doesn't know about. I, have, I don't have a single secret from Pastor Mark. Zip. He knows the good, the bad, and the ugly. And believe me, if you know Pastor Mark, you know this is true. He will speak the truth. But I love that about him. He'll beat me up in love. And then the third one is my two brothers that I grew up with. Talk about knowing somebody well. Dave and Jeff have known me my whole life, and I've known them. They love the Lord. We meet every week, and we challenge each other. I don't think there's anything I can't say to those guys. I'm not saying they're going to listen, but I feel free to say it, and they do likewise. And those are the kind of relationships that make me feel hope in my heart. That who I am today, this is not the pinnacle of Dan's life. I've got a long way to go. And I know it. Believe me, I know better what my issues are than you know what my issues are. But I'm not downhearted. I'm not giving up. I'm actually anticipating this is going to be a great year. Because there are people who are going to challenge me. Who are going to encourage me. And by God's grace, when I look back at 2009, I'm going to say, I know who I was when the year started. By God's grace, I've made some good ground. I've changed. I've become more like Christ than I was before. That's what God would have for every one of us this morning. Be connected. Be relational. 
Let us pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you this morning that you have given us an opportunity through the body of rest life to have many who sit around us ready, willing, and able to lock arms with us. Lord, I know that there's no excuse for any of us to be alone, to do this journey by ourselves. And so, God, I pray that you would encourage each one who is here this morning. Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit, who is the paraclete, who is always there alongside of us, would convict us each from the inside this morning, that each one of us would get a good beating from the inside if we will not align with this truth. Because, God, I know at the end of the day, you have big plans for each one of us. But they'll never happen if we refuse to be connected. So, Lord, help each one of us to get connected in an accountability relationship that would change our life. Lord, we thank you for your provision. We thank you for your word. Lord, we thank you in advance for what you're about to do. In Jesus' name, amen.